Welcome everybody, my name is Derek Arden and welcome to Monday Night Live. Tonight I'm going to do a session on influencing. Influencing skills is one of the most important issues that we can ever have in our lives because we have to influence and persuade people and as Dale Carnegie said if you can't persuade other people to do what they want to do and persuade them for you you'll never get anything done so we have to do absolutely everything. Now those of you that um, are professional speakers know that you should never introduce yourself so I'm going to introduce uh, Tim Durkin who you know who's going to introduce me. Tim thank you for kindly agreeing to introduce me. It's truly an honor, Derek. And uh, as you said, my name is Tim Durkin, and I am speaking to you today from Granbury, Texas, about 75 miles away from Dallas-Fort Worth. I first met Derek before he became president of the United Kingdom Speaking Association. We were both studying how to teach others presentation skills, marketing, and influencing techniques at a winter conference slash boot camp in Marco Island, Florida. That was 15 years ago, and we have remained close friends and professional colleagues ever since. Derek Garden is a passionate teacher, and his legacy is to pass his knowledge and wisdom down to as many people as humanly possible. Tonight marks the 121st Monday Night Live broadcast, and I have to congratulate him on this achievement. He has interviewed some of the smartest people in the world, all recorded and uploaded to YouTube and to the Negotiators podcast, all free of charge. After many requests, Derek is tonight going to share his uh, studies on the psychology of influence. It is my pleasure and indeed an honor to introduce my friend and my colleague and my mentor, Derek Arden. Wow, Tim, thank you so much for that. Uh, that's absolutely brilliant. And it's been an honor and a pleasure to have known you. We have shared so many beers and so many stories. It's been, it's been absolutely fantastic. Now tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a slide deck, a brand new slide deck that I've prepared for tonight from my studies and research into influencing, which of course links so closely to negotiation skills. Sometimes I get confused if, it, if it's coming out of negotiating, if it's coming out of influencing, if it's coming out of persuading. Frankly, it doesn't matter, it's all psychology. And I've studied and learned and even seen some of the best business psychologists in the world. Um, so that's, that's the plan. And I'm now going to share my screen. If you're still unmuted, uh, participants can see my whiteboard. They're supposed to be able to see my screen. So that's the first mistake, which we will correct. Now, Tim, can you see my um, my slide deck now, my number one slide influence? I can, it, absolutely that's perfect. It. That's fantastic. As I said, I've been passionate about learning and passionate about the areas that circulate around, let's say, the uh, psychology of negotiating. And influencing and persuading is one of the most important ones. And of course, I studied the work of uh, Dr. Robert Gildini, the uh, professor of psychology at uh, uh, Phoenix uh, University in Arizona, who's written the seminal books, and he's just brought out a new book, and I've just been through it, sped, sped read it, and I decided that this would be a good opportunity to share some of it with you. So um, 
I've put up there what you will learn today, but remember it's relearning or going wow or saying, I'm gonna put this into practice tomorrow. His first chapter is about how to increase leverage. Then he talks about reciprocity, liking, social proof, scarcity, authority, commitment, unity, the contrast principle, using because and language. I won't have time to cover all that today because it's a massive subject, but I'm gonna cover some of the key issues. Now, Gildini was on the stage at uh, a conference I went to in July 2019 in Denver, Colorado. I actually met Tim there and we had a couple of beers, but to actually see Gildini, the expert interviewed on stage was absolutely awesome. And I took that picture myself, not allowed to take any pictures in the auditorium. So that was probably illegal, but never mind that. And he was interviewed because he's not really a speaker. He's an academic, but he's a business academic that's put things into practical terms. And most advertisers, most marketing use some of those levers of Giordini. And I put a picture down in the bottom left-hand corner because the Institute of Management published uh, 10 years ago that Giordini's book, Influence, Science and Practice, was the best-selling book in China. So as I say to my clients, and I say when I'm speaking, we better know these levers of influence because they're gonna be used on us all the time. And there's some which are ethical to use, we might be using as well to help people make up their minds. So I'd just like you to think about what we're gonna talk about over the next 20 minutes, how ethical some of these maneuvers, some of these tactics, some of these levers of influence are. Zero's perfectly ethical, 100 is perfect, perfectly uh, manipulative. And it's a question of where do you sit? Because we're being manipulated all the time. And um, when, they, uh, when the report came out on Bernie Madoff uh, and the Ponzi scheme, he was using five of Giordini's levers of influence on some very smart people who invested all sorts of money. And then if you look at uh, the case that's going on in California at the moment, and the book's called Bad Blood, and I've just forgotten the name, and Tim will remind me of the lady that's uh, in big trouble over this uh, blood calculation machine. Um, what's her name, Tim? Uh, you got me there. All of okay, a sudden, we'll I come back. To it. The company's name is on Pirano. the tip of my tongue, and that often happens when you're presenting, and everybody knows that sometimes you forget it, and you have to just busk your way out of it. So what's ethical and what's uh, manipulative? And uh, Giordini studied some of the uh, most interesting and most dangerous situations in the 20th century to see how certain countries uh, took uh, action against their own people and uh, against some religious people. And you probably know who I'm talking about. He's not, he wasn't very far from where we are in, in Europe. So the first lever of influence is reciprocity. And what's interesting, in Gildini's new book, uh, the one I've got beside me here, he's moved reciprocity to number one. And it was, wasn't at number one before. So there's been some research done. And it's uh, basically, he says, and the researchers from the other universities say that reciprocity, the law of reciprocity, the law of unconditional giving is, um, is one of the most important ones of everything and we know that uh, if someone buys us a beer then we are obligated 
to return the beer. If someone sends us a Christmas card, we feel obligated to send them a Christmas card back. If someone buys us a coffee, we feel obligated. And therefore, people use the law of reciprocity to send gifts, etc., to make the other people feel um, obligated to, uh, to give them something back. And of course, this is used crazily in supermarkets when uh, there's a promotion on and they give you a free sample. And most people that get a free sample, guess what they do? They go and buy the product. So 27% of people that got a free sample who wouldn't normally have bought that product under any circumstances, then went and spent their money on the product. And of course, you've got to get people buying the product to get used to the product, to get the uh, brand known. So free free samples. Then we come to hospitality when we get into a bit of a grey area, because what's the difference between a small bit of hospitality, like uh, buying somebody a meal, compared with um, taking them to the centre court at Wimbledon on finals day? And uh, the UK introduced uh, the bribery law in 2011, which said you had to declare any types of hospitality like that, which were uh, verging on the end on the edge of um, of bribery so that's rule one rule two is um, is liking and what were the uh, what were the issues on liking well people like people who are like them and therefore it's called the plm syndrome people like me syndrome and um is the person does the person like the sport we like did they go to the same school as us uh, do they wear the same clothes as us? Do they choose the same programs on TV to, to watch? Do they dress like us? How do they come across? And also the law of attraction comes into this because people actually like people that look attractive. Now, that doesn't mean to say you go out and get a fix because actually the attraction often comes from just the clothes you wear. 95% 90, of what we have, what we wear is, um, is, um, is the clothes. So how do we come across? Do we look smart? They also like positive people. And when I'm coaching people, I also coach people to use the good cop, bad cop, good guy, bad guy routine because that works really well because you're the good guy, the good cop, the person that's liked, the bad cop is head office, HQ, higher authority, whoever's not with you at the time, your co-directors. So you can stay liking, so you can ask more difficult questions. And if you can ask more difficult questions, you're gonna get better answers. And then we can you go into the psychology of, psychology of neurolinguistics, where we perhaps mirror and match the body language, the words, the voice tonality of the people that we're meeting because that works on the unconscious mind. And by the way, this all works on the unconscious mind and people think that people who are looking, behaving, acting, speaking like us are like us. And finally, I pulled out a couple of my seating slides um, because 80% of people around the world sit um, in offices like that. And they sit across the table when they're trying to persuade influence or negotiate which is crazy because look at the space across the desk. Um, a business deal is done at arm's length. That's why we say uh, it's an arm's length deal. And therefore people sit across, look at each other in the eye in a, a somewhat old fashioned, aggressive way. Whereas of course, if you put a round table in the room, we're all working 
round the table. Sometimes people look at me aghast when I'm saying these little things make a massive difference when you're trying to influence and persuade other people, but they do. And it's the little things that make a massive difference. And if you don't think little things make a massive difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. And there we are, two, two guys in a bar, match mirroring each other's body language. And if we don't think this mirroring is a natural human reaction, look at the baby there, mirroring its mum, can't walk, but it's still mirroring what its mum's doing. This works. I was an, I'm an open-minded skeptic. When I first heard about this, I first looked at it, I tested it, I tried it, and I can assure you it works. Try it. Social proof is number three. Um, rather a strange two words, but at the end of the day, if other people have done it, we think it must be okay. And when I was working in the banking sector, there was a rather odd thing that went on in that the smaller banks, as long as the big banks like uh, Barclays have gone into a deal, they assumed that if Barclays or NatWest were in the deal, then it must be all right from a credit risk point of view. Well, the big banks didn't always know what they were doing, especially when they were dealing with some of the scoundrels that were out there. Um, and uh, the scoundrels are still out there. And therefore, they just followed like sheep. And of course, the advertisers do that all the time. They're telling us that a thousand people have bought this product, um, that, uh, uh, that we get testimonials on the adverts all the time, that Mrs. Blog says this washing powder is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the one that annoys me more than anything, and I don't know if it annoys you because we don't always notice it, is the canned laughter that's put on humorous programs, which couldn't possibly be the audience. And they've just put the canned laughter on. And it's very difficult if somebody's laughing not to laugh as well. And then beggars. The last one I was going to mention was beggars get more money in their pots when people can see that other people have already given them money. It's very difficult to walk past someone uh, who's already got money in the pot. But if they haven't got money in the pot and no one else has done it, then it uh, seems okay to do it. Number four, authority. I always think this is an interesting one. People believe people in authority. And therefore, that's why first impressions are really important. And that's why I put a suit and a tie on tonight, because I can always dress down to match the client. But I certainly can't dress up. There's absolutely no chance of that. I don't want to go to a meeting to be uh, suggesting a high fee for my services. And people look at me thinking, well, he can't be uh, he can't be very valuable if that if he can't afford a proper suit and tie or can't be bothered to dress up with a suit and tie on. And if the other side hasn't got a suit and a tie on, I can take my jacket off really quickly and I can be like them. So the, the skill is is to match. And um, I was flying back from um, Bulgaria and um, there was um, somebody on the plane who uh, who might know who I'm talking about here. And I put a suit on so that in case I met anybody on the plane, I might want to talk to. And I talked to this person, gave him a copy of my book, and we've become friends ever since. And I'll let you into a secret who, the, who that is. Upgrades. Got an upgrade from uh, World Traveller Plus to uh, business class with my son. 
we both put a suit on at Miami Airport in the, in the men's room and went to the check-in in a suit, did our best negotiating, and we got upgraded. Dress uniforms, pilots' uniforms, um, captains of ships, the captain of the Costa Concordia that went down about a, an hour after it came out of Venice four years ago. 17 people were in the uh, were, were on the, were officers on that ship. No one stood up to the captain because the captain's always right. He wears the stripes. He's got the uniform, just like the pilot of the plane that crashed in the Washington River, the Potomac River, about 10 years ago. When they played the tapes back, the um, co-pilot was telling the uh, pilot to uh, abort the takeoff because the uh, icing time had run out. Uh, but he didn't say it assertively enough. He was scared of the pilot. So they've been giving pilots crews on ships assertiveness training to handle the dangers of that. Printed prices. People believe printed prices. That's why they work. They don't tend to negotiate printed prices, apart from us. We do. Of course we do. We know that's just a negotiating tactic. So when people see the printed price, they sort of believe it. Mind you, if you're a professional negotiator like us, we want to play around with our prices and get the highest price, which is why I would never coach anyone to put their prices on a website. And then we go to LinkedIn, don't we? What's your LinkedIn profile like? What's your website like? But if you haven't got a website, you certainly got a LinkedIn profile. If you haven't got a LinkedIn profile, that's telling people a lot of things about you. And have you got a picture that gives you that authority? And ladies and gentlemen, for a bit of fun, you may see in the bottom left hand corner my mature student discount card that I give out for a bit of fun when I'm having and doing a fun inspirational negotiation uh, seminar for people that haven't got the nerve to ask for a discount. I hand them my printed mature student discount card and I just coach them gently to try it out. And people send me emails every now and again saying that it worked. It's interesting because it looks like authority, even though, though it's just a wind up. Now we go to scarcity, FOMO, fear of missing out. Embedded in our brains is this fear of me missing out. People want things they can't have. And for those of you that are looking at my uh, wording, I missed a comma off of can't. So that's especially for Martin Cairns, who's on here, always uh, tells me when I get a spelling wrong. Uh, we'll adjust that afterwards. Sale ends at five o'clock. Well, it's amazing what happens, isn't it? That as soon as people think they're going to miss out because the sale ends, in they go and buy things perhaps that they don't want or fully booked. Uh, often I know speakers that say they're fully booked for months so that they can adjust something and get a higher price. Why wouldn't you be busy if you're a professional doing a professional job? I mean, who wants to go to a dentist that can fit you in at any time? Perhaps they're not as good as you might want them to be. And finally, we come to uh, number six, although there is a number seventh, and I've got a suspicion why there's a number, a number seven in Giannini's new book. Um, and it's commitment. If I can do this for you, Tim, do we have a deal? If I get it past the board of directors, do we have a deal? If, if I can get you that discount, 
do we have a deal? So the sales closed before you give something away in the price or before you upgrade uh, the package by giving them one of the variables, a book, a testimonial, whatever you're going to put in your package of, of variables. I'm working at Durham University Business School, Law School, next tomorrow, coaching the, um, coaching the students. And um, I'm going to get them to list the variables that when they go to negotiate their salary, what the variables are. And I've come up with a list of 10 variables already. And when I work with clients, they don't generally know what their variables are until we get flip chart out and we brainstorm it. Restaurants, if they get the commitment, and by saying, if you can't make it, please confirm that you will call us and the person agrees, then they get much more compliance to getting a phone call, cancelling the table. Weight Watchers, people commit, don't they, to losing so much uh, um, before the next session. And it's the same with uh, BNI groups. People commit to bringing two guests each month, etc. It's the same with mastermind groups. It depends on the style of uh, mastermind groups. Some mastermind groups get people to commit the action they're going to take before next month. And that's people that aren't driven enough to do it themselves but they are committed to other people. And then um, if people are going to order things um, and you're selling to them, they're much more committed if they own the order forms. So they fill in the order forms themselves. Now I'm going to share number seven with you and then I'm going to have a cup of coffee. Giordini has put this in his book, his new book, as number seven. I think he's taken one or two of these things from the liking part of the but he says we're more likely to do things for people who are family who come from the same tribe as us they come from the same associations as us they uh, belong to the same secret societies as us like the Masonic lodge or they belong to the same religion and he quotes in the book that bernie madoff who did the who was responsible for the biggest ponzi scheme ever in the world, I don't know if it was 115 billion, I can't remember exactly. Most of his clients were Jewish. He was Jewish and Giordini says they were taken in by Bernie Madoff. Now he'd been doing the job for, uh, he'd been doing it for 30 years. He'd been running the Ponzi scheme before it collapsed for 30 years. And of course he was put in prison for it. And I think he died um, about two years ago. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna put you in breakout rooms now i'm going to stop talking i'm going to ask you which of these techniques have been used on you and what happened and which ones do you feel are ethical for you to use there's always a big question mark big debate on what's ethical and uh, what's not ethical so what have been used on you and um, what would you feel was acceptable to uh, use on other people not to use on other people I mean, don't forget, these are on TV all the time. These tactics are being used all the time on television. So I'm going to uh, uh, sort the rooms out, put you into rooms for seven minutes, and, and then we'll go around the room and, and, and just review the tactics. So I'm opening all the rooms now. Hope this works. Here we go.
Welcome back, everybody. That looked a really interesting discussions as we went round the room. Let's uh, kick off for the debrief and see what we can pick up from everybody and all that uh, fantastic information that was uh, going around. Will, can we start with you? What did your group uh, come up with? First of all, I was conned into being the uh, the spokesperson. That Godfrey fella is going to be uh, dealt with in due course. I'm telling you. Um, I, we had a, chat, a general chat, but I think uh, the very first one you've got on the top of the list is the most powerful form of uh, influencing, and that is reciprocity. You know, if you've got any conscience whatsoever, you will find a way of saying thank you in the appropriate way. And there's a quote I shared with my two friends, and that is, give without remembering and receive without forgetting. And uh, if people follow that, I think it's a very powerful form of influence. Yeah, we had a, we've had a debate who actually said that, haven't we, uh, on my newsletter. We thought that was um, William James, I think, the uh, American philanthropist. But apparently it goes back to Socrates or Plato, apparently, which it probably does. I don't know. Uh, thanks, Will. Um, what, about, what about the next group? Who was running the next group in uh, Alex Kent's group? Was that you, Alex? Oh, come on, you can't dodge that one. And you're muted, by the way. Probably every, everybody might have to unmute. Okay, so um, again, in our group, we talked about reciprocity being the, uh, the one which people sort of use the most. But we also wondered whether that was a factor of the people who are actually on this call. Um, you know, uh, the people who are attracted to your chat shows, perhaps, Derek, are ones who are more interested in giving. And that's why that's a technique that we use. In terms of ethics, I think uh, uh, we didn't come to any conclusions on that, but ethics is a pretty wide scale and it depends on where individuals um, put things on that scale. So one, one individual may have something on one end, whereas another has it on a different end. Difficult that's to give a, a straight answer on that. I think it's um, certainly in banking with my team, one of the questions we asked ourselves each time was if it appeared on the front page of the Daily Mail, could you justify it? <laughs> that was a pretty tricky one. And that's the other one was... Call, um, that's what I used to call the red face test in business. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. Could you, you know, could, would you be embarrassed? Would you have a red face if that came out? Yeah. And the other one was um, if you had to explain it to your mum, what would she say? Mm. I always thought that was... Um, a good one. Um, what about, shall we go to the next uh, next group? Um, Tim Durkin, Martin Cairns, John Baker, Elvira. Yeah, uh, I, I was uh, looking after the questions on that, or the answers on that one. And um, Tim kicked us off by talking about uh, uh, in a particular, in a, in a Christian environment where religion is used as a, as a, as a persuader, or in some cases, even an enforcer. And being born and bred a Roman Catholic, I know exactly what he's talking about. Um, so uh, he thinks that's sometimes unethical to, in a business environment to introduce the religious element as a means of influencing uh, the rest of the group. Um, we also talked about having to make a commitment to give up email addresses, WhatsApp groups and all the rest of it if we wanted to make some sort of progress on the communication. 
uh, which John was talking about. You have to you have to confirm your email and, and all the other information. And then Elvira confirmed that by talking about phones and texts and what the technology demands. Um, Tim also mentioned Black Friday, uh, which is a um, following Thanksgiving where the retailers go absolutely berserk to get people through the door or over the over the internet. Uh, and it's on the back of what we see over here at Christmas, when uh, the stores uh, mentioned the example you always use, Derek, about next, where they put the blinds up before Christmas to keep uh, people interested. And then when they, they be here early because, uh, you know, don't be late. Hector. So they're queuing up from the early hours of Boxing Day morning. And then there's an absolute stampede. And all the uh, Christian element of Christmas goes out of the window or the doors. Uh, where they're fighting over what are not often goods in the sale. These are goods purposely bought in for the sale. You wouldn't have found them on the shelves throughout the previous year. Um, John mentioned authority and actually referred to Tim's uh, authoritative introduction of you, Derek, at the beginning of this. So... Uh, Occasionally, I don't think he was suggesting that occasionally we're misled by the introducers to the quality of the speaker. But, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Martin, for that. <laughs> I um, say it. Then, then I mentioned this thing about, um, uh, you know, on the internet, there's 3,000 people looking at this room in this hotel that you're about to book. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, 70,000 people have already booked a room today, so you better get your skates on. Now, whether that's true or not, that is not ethical under any circumstances. You should be allowed to make your mind up uh, and, and, and consider it over a period of time. And uh, we talked about influencers, influencers on the internet. They use the word influencers these days. These people, some of them who are still in nappies, have got some amazing influence over their particular demographic group, uh, making absolute fortunes. And... Uh, their audience believe everything they tell them. Um, to the extent that um, there's one chap in America that Tim told us about, who's considered to be an influence. He's got 100,000 people subscribing to his, his, uh, his um, uh, uh, website. And uh, he was stopped by a policeman because he, he was doing 120 miles an hour in a car. And this lad, this young lad, it said, uh, you know, you can't stop me. You know, don't you know who I am? And uh, I, you know, uh, make life difficult for you with all these people that think I'm wonderful and to which the policeman totally, um, totally uh, uh, ignoring that uh, threat, handcuffed him and took him off to the police station. So they're all sort, there's, there's influence being used in a multitude of ways, uh, unethically. Mm. That's our contribution. Thanks, Martin. Yeah, it is quite interesting using. I've forgotten about the next example where they uh, they where they show pictures in the uh, they buy pictures in the newspapers a few days before showing queues at five o'clock in the morning and um, people rushing out the store with all these goods that they don't really want because they might be missing out. And the reciprocity bit is, of course, you can take it back within thirty days uh, unconditionally with no uh, with no questions asked. Okay, uh, which groups? Um, which groups next? Uh, let's have a look down here. We've got uh, Grace, John, and Susan. I think. Yeah, well, Grace had a very interesting example. I don't know whether you want to tell us about the gifts that you get at the end of your meals, Grace. You're still on mute. Grace got broadband issues always. All right. 
brave man. Oh, there's great. Right, here she is. Cool. So very brief. So what John's referring to is I said, and I know what it is, that at the end of meals, especially when I've been out with some girlfriends, is that we get offered free cocktails. Not offered, we get given free cocktails or free shots. It's been happening for years. I always gratefully received. But it was through one of these sessions, Derek, I realised it's the very first one that you talk about. So as a result, the, the tip is always generous. And I'm never quite sure if that's generous because we're in the influence or generous because we feel that we need to give back at least half of what we've consumed in alcohol free. And that was the one I was sharing with John. I'll tell and you what. No, and I was saying that never happens to me. <laughs> I wonder why that is, John. Giordini shows some, has got some statistics in his book, which says um, it works also with just sweets at the end of a meal. And if you give two sweets rather than one, they get 15% more. So, you know, just coming around with that sweet, perhaps even bending down and looking the person at eye level, uh, touching them on the elbow is one or two of the other techniques that work in that arena, but it increases the tips by by quite a lot so um yeah he's got some uh, research into that on and again on the reciprocity a couple of the other things we talked about was we we were talking about shoes believe it or not and uh, susan and grace and i were we were agreed that you know when you actually it goes back to authority if you look at people's shoes and they're really unkempt or unpolished or they've got ragged old laces and whatever it's usually an indication that you know that Perhaps uh, there might, you might have some doubts about the attention to detail that that individual has, or, you know, yeah. maybe that's an area that they should brush up on. I mean, in, in terms of use of authority, having been a, a police officer, I've used authority, but I think I would, I would always caution against using authority because even if you've got rank on your shoulder, you, know, you usually have to, at the end of the day, rely on people respecting you in order to actually do things for you. And so actually just using visible authority uh, is okay, but it's very limited in terms of its effect in my experience. I've seen you in your uniform, John, you look pretty scary. I don't think, any, I think everyone will respect you in your uniform. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> okay, anything else? Otherwise it's on to Christine, Derek and Michael. Before you leave, um, I do want to amplify what John said there. You can tell a lot by a, uh, in a person in a business deal by looking at their shoes. Yeah. If they are run down, if they are cared for, if they are expensive, um, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's over the course of my business career, it's been a very reliable indicator. The research I came up with on first impressions on what people look for was eyes, smile, handshake and shoes and it was eyes for energy smile for being genuine uh, handshake for being even and not wimpy or uh, or dominant and then shoes was the always the last one and the funny thing i came across was that uh, apparently women always look at the heels of shoes whereas blokes just look generally at the shoes i don't know ladies is is that true but certainly um 90 of women that i t asked on it told me it was absolutely 100 true so, I prefer comfortable shoes. So, <laughs> well, it's interesting how those comfortable shoes have changed, and maybe the power shoes are now kept in the uh, office drawer for the meetings. Uh, that's what I also noticed as well. 
Okay, no, thank you for that, Tim. Um, now it's Christine, Derek and Michael. Anything to add, please? Yeah, take my eyes off my shoes, come back to the notes. I um, think there was an immediate, with uh, especially Derek, Derek, do jump in with the tribal aspects, the, the connection, don't know whether it's number two or number seven, Unity, but uh, it was to do with Derek's surname, which happens to be my mother's maiden name, which took us down a track of ancestors from, from Ireland. Wow. And I think we spent uh, half the time speaking about different parts of, of uh, Ireland where Derek's from um, and uh, the, the Maguire name and the area called Maguire's Bridge, and which is near Enniskillen in, in Ireland. So that was, that was a, a genuine, a, a immediate uh, rapport between uh, certainly myself and Derek and supported by Christine. Sorry, Christine. Um, I think the only other part we mentioned was com the commitment in negotiations, so often very disappointing. When, 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 when one has uh, given one's heart and soul and, and mind and efforts uh, and the other half make a promise to do something relatively minor and, and, and fail to do it, but I'm, I'm minded of uh, Will's comment there. Maybe, maybe I should just um, not not bothering uh, remembering all of those gives. But it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough gig when when the other side uh, don't reciprocate the way that you would like. So I think that was the main two points I would make. Unless there's anything Derek or, or Christine wanted to add. The only thing I would add was we did say at one stage that the difference between persuasion and manipulation comes down to the intent of yeah. what it is you're trying to do. And I think that is, that does matter. Um, you know, you, we have to always act with integrity in what it is we're doing in business generally, but that, that is a factor in what it is you're doing. Is it persuasion and manipulation? What's the intent? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And if you, if you get into more of the advanced psychology, and I don't really mean advanced, but seeing things like neuro-linguistic programming, um, sometimes you can end up, but uh, I'm a, practitioner of NLP and I, I love uh, all, the, all the techniques and they're using sports psychology all the time. But um, it can clearly be used for the manipulation like you were saying, Derek. In fact, anything can be used for manipulation. If it's used for the wrong reasons, then um, it's, um, it's not right, is it? It's not ethical. So, um, you know, and sometimes people use the, uh, use the expression wearing aftershave for guys is manipulative because people like people that smell nice and using makeup on ladies uh it's people that smell nice now i have to say moving makeup on men as well don't i so i don't get caught out <laughs> well it's terrible nancy terrible you never know what you're going to say these days um so it, it is the intent derek and i think that's a fantastic uh, point and you were saying you're a dentist as well yeah, well, I'm a dentist. I haven't seen a patient in years, but I run a group here in Northern Ireland. We've all 50 odd dentists in, within the group. And we do spend a lot of time with this, with our dentists, because, you know, you, you sometimes a patient comes in and, you know, you do have to explain to them and persuade them for the right reason that they need something done. But mm. not, it can't be, it can't come across as it's for money or whatever. You know, there has to be a, a right reason for doing that. I mean, the patient, for instance, may not want something treated. But if it's not, if it's left alone, it will get worse or whatever that example may be. Um, but I, and again, sometimes we find with our dentists, they don't want to be seen as salesy. And that's perfectly reasonable. But what we say to them is, yes, but you still should, the patients in your chair, 
paying you for your advice, you still need to get it across. Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to the show. I don't think we've seen you on the show before, Derek. So uh, hope hope to see you on uh, on uh, I, every week or whenever you can I, make. I'm usually not free, and I listen to the recordings. I don't know if you knew that or not. And I first saw you at uh, one of Peter's do's in uh, Leamington or wherever it was. Maybe it was in Leamington. It was Peter Tom. It was, Peter yeah, Tom. yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Stratford, Stratford. Stratford, okay, mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, perhaps we could catch up separately at some stage. One group sure. one group to go. I think it's Amy, Nigel and Paul, isn't it? Unless I've missed anybody. Right, I, I will just, everybody's talked about reciprocity. I, I will just throw one more thing in the pot about that is that I have this theory, you see, that everybody has a price. Um, so, you know, we, and we, we debated a little bit about, well, the rules say you can't give any more than, well, I think any more than 50 pounds without uh, reporting it to your superiors or whatever. But, you know, the temptation of a, of a, a couple of tickets for you and, uh, and your wife to go to Centre Court at Wimbledon on finals day, that's more likely to, uh, uh, to persuade people. Uh, and that's you know, and that's what they why they do it. And uh, I did offer the the uh, the opposite of that, which was an afternoon in in Whitby by the sea uh, in June when it's freezing cold, and that might not get so many takers. But uh, I do have this point about everybody has a price. I think it's a very interesting point, Paul. Mm. Um, depends what the risks are, and have they thought through the risks? And people don't often don't think through the risks. And I'm sure Godfrey's. Um, had to investigate a few situations where people have been sucked in. And there's a point of no return in that uh, reciprocity stroke bribery stroke ethics uh, ethics area. I don't know if uh, Godfrey wants to comment on that a bit later. Is there any other points there before we uh, open it up? Nigel and Amy both, both had some good points, okay. so I'll let them fire away. Nancy. Yeah, um, we, uh, we talked about the fact I've worked with uh, influence for, well, more years than I want to admit to. Um, And I've got a little model that's based off Caldini's work in terms of getting people to understand what it means and what do they vote, uh, you know, rate themselves. And what was interesting in this work is the fact that a lot of times young people, particularly, I'd say, you know, the under 30 lot, um, found uh, reciprocity uh, offensive, distasteful. Okay, why should I, I, you know, I, I don't do anything for uh, other people expecting anything back. I just do because it's the right thing to do. And it's really a British culture in terms of fairness. And, you know, I do it for the right reasons. And I would always say to them, that's fair enough. It, it offends your values. That's all right. But you need to be aware that other people might be using it. So just to be aware that other people might be using it, might be using it with you too. But um, yeah, it's, it, it was interesting um, over the years. Lots of people had found it offensive reciprocity for that reason. Yeah, Jill Dini does very much sell it as you have to be aware of uh, it's being done to you and yeah. being aware of it. But, uh, sorry, is that Amy next? Yeah, my one was talking about scarcity and, and linked to that was the FOMO and being manipulated to do something within a time frame that wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to do in that time frame. I'm not a, a big window shopper. I'm always shopping with purpose. And so when sometimes I'm forced to make a decision, I, I don't feel I have all the required 
decision making elements to that so i do feel time pressured and with that I, li I linked it to well actually nigel suggested that it was linked to social proof that if somebody then steps in with a peer recommendation then that would help secure something for me the deal for me and it's 100 percent true because there's been recent decisions that i've been made that have all been sealed by peer recommendations uh, yeah i mean one of the really unethical things that uh, worried me is when i went to a tony robbins seminar and they asked people to come forward and uh, sign up for the next seminar and then the 10 or 20 stooges that are in the audience all rush forward uh to uh, to pay and then all the other people follow and i think that was um, i think that was dreadful and i've seen that done that is done in uh, quite a bit bit of unethical selling and people need to be to be aware of it guys what i'm going to do now is close the recording off and then uh, stay on for as long as uh, as long as we want thanks for all that feedback it was uh, Fantastic. There's a huge amount of points there. And if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the Negotiators podcast, thank you very much indeed. Please send any comments, any questions on Giordini or his work of Giordini. And we'll do a second session on influencing, which covers other psychology and other psychologists who use uh, and teach uh, persuasion and influencing methods. My name is Derek Arden. Thanks for joining us.